following is a presentation from your friends at Forcecast.net. It's the Forcecast. Home to the official podcast of the Force.net. I feel the Force. And RebelScum.com. You Rebel Scum. Here they come! This is the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. You fought in the Clone Wars? Information, commentary, and discussion about Star Wars The Clone Wars. This is where the fun begins. In laser clickers! Now, the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. Anakin, Rex, Cody, pull back! All troops, pull back! It's the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. I have a bad feeling about this. Begun. The Clone War has. Incoming! All batteries return fire. Go, go, go! <laughs> you smell that? What's that? You smell it, Jim? The foul what stench. Do you the foul oh, stench. Fu- <laughs> I recognized it as soon as I was brought on board. That's right. That's right. That foul stench, that familiar foul stench is back with us once again in the Star Wars universe. And we're so happy to be talking about the return of Will Huff. Will Huff Tarkin in episode what 18. <laughs> what you talking about? I love it. Episode 18 of season three, The Citadel. And, uh, you know, first going through the episode, I didn't think there was going to be much to talk about tonight. Really, I didn't. Once we get through the obvious stuff, I didn't think there would be much at all. went through it again before uh, recording the show here. And, uh, you know, there's quite a bit to it. So much, in fact, we had to gather a great panel. But first, joining me, as always, my good friend and yours, Jimmy Mack. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, Jason. Hello, hello, Star Wars fans. This week... We're going deep into Separatist territory with the fearless team of Obi-Wan, Anakin, Ahsoka, and their faithful droids and troopers. As they infiltrate the Citadel, will we be seeing the continuation of the amazing storytelling the second half of Season 3 has gotten us so accustomed to? Or will we return to the Senate chambers and poison Snapple? (laughs) These are the things we will be discovering tonight on the Clone Wars Roundtable. And to help us out, we got, you know, if you're going to bring back Grand Moff Tarkin, or in this case, Captain Tarkin, you've got to have some imps around, right? You've got to have some Imperials to do it right. And we got a couple of great ones from the 501st. Um, from, well, first of all, no stranger to uh, folks here listening to the Force cast. Dean Plantamura from the Carolina Garrison and the public relations officer for the 501st. Welcome back, Dean. Hey, guys. Glad to be back. It's, uh, it's definitely been a while, but... You picked a kind of a fun episode for us to talk about. Lots of clones, lots of Imperials. So let's get it going on. That's right. And uh, Dean brought a good friend with him, Scott Will of the Florida Garrison. He's also the Legion Merchandise and Branding Officer. Scott, welcome to the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, guys, let's uh, get through this here. The Tale of the Tape, episode 62 of the series. It is uh, episode 18 of season three, original air date, February 14th, 2011, written by Matt McNivets, McNivets, new name there, uh, and directed by Kyle Dunleavy. Uh, First of all, let's start off with the commentary for this episode. Dave Filoni, of course, supervising director, leads off the commentary by talking about 
the fact that he talked about a number of things, but one of the things was about the Ugnots and the carbon freezing chamber and how this was actually an idea that he and Henry Gilroy had when they uh, started kind of plotting the series out that they would, if they could, bring back the uh, the carbon freezing uh, process. And if you're going to be dealing with freezing folks in carbonite, you got to have an Ugnot. And we talked yeah. about this earlier this week, Jim, on the Forcecast. And, uh, you know, Kyle Newman was very upset. Kyle Newman uh, was, was thinking that this was stereotyping Ugnots and, and, you know, keeping them down. Yeah, because he's standing up for the little Ugnots because he, of course, is the Ugnots civil rights activist supreme. He's out there fighting the fight for those little buggers. But still, Jason, didn't you like seeing an Ugnot in the Clone Wars? Oh, it, it, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I would have preferred to hear a little bit from Dave about uh, Tarkin's return, but it was still it was a pretty satisfying commentary. Uh, There's some funny stuff there at the end. And uh, I'll tell you the one revealing thing that I thought, uh, which was interesting, which is if you see the shot of the writer's table, with uh, Dave and company surrounding George at the big table, if you'll notice, there's a copy of the annotated screenplay right next to Dave Filoni. So it just makes me wonder, what are those moments <laughs> when George is <laughs> pitching something or someone's pitching something and Dave has to go, well, <laughs> and he cracks open that annotated screenplay. You think? I wonder if he ever has to correct George on a few things. Well, you sure, said, George. you said, you know, uh, George, put that thing down. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. You ever saw that book? But I thought that was interesting. All right, well, let's start off since Dave Filoni talked about the carbon freezing chamber in Ugnots. Uh, let's let's talk about it. Um, I was really, for whatever reason. I really don't know why. Maybe it was because I saw Return of the Jedi uh, Dean as a a six-year-old and I was the right age. There was something about the idea of Han Solo being frozen in carbonite that I just found cool. So uh, there are a couple of my favorite sequences in in all of the films is when he gets frozen in Empire Strikes Back and he thaws out in Return of the Jedi. Uh, so I was really excited to see it. Was carbon freezing something that you thought, oh, wow, I hope we get to see some more carbon freezing in the Clone Wars? You know, honestly, my opinion is, is too soon. Um, too you know, soon? I, I love the, I, you know, I like the idea of carbonite freezing. And like you said, it was, it was something that I think that has stuck with me over the years as well. It was something that was a cool idea. Uh, you know, back in the 80s, it was like, wow, you, you know, like freezing somebody. And it's also very archetypal. You know, it ties into uh, to things like um, myths of, of Medusa, you know, turning people to stone, um, you know, things like that. And so I think it fits in very well with all things Star Wars. But, um, you know, as much as I enjoy a lot of the Clone Wars environments and technology and characters, um, tying back into original trilogy, um, you know, existing characters and environments. I, you know, sometimes I think that it's it's a little too much. And this was a case where I felt it was, you know, it was, it was just too much. It was like, you know, I would have been happy with them just saying, "Oh, we're going on a trip. Let's let's carbon freeze some some snacks for the trip," and then they just kind of show it in the background. So a little more, like a little more subtle. You were looking for some subtlety. That's what I was looking for. And, and, you know, sometimes I don't get that. And this is just my opinion, of course. I, my, 
it's not the opinion of the entire, you know, 5,000 plus 500 first legion, but you know, it's, it's just, I, I think it was, um, a, a good concept. I think it was a cool idea, a, a way to hide, you know, uh, life forms on board the ship and, um, you know, watching that scene where we kind of, it hinted that Ahsoka wanted to go with them and, uh, you know, and I, I, when they were scanning that, that shuttle, you know, and it was, yeah. you know, well, that I mean, scene, they're getting closer and closer. I, you know, I, it was, it, that, that got me, you know, I figured, oh, Ahsoka's going to blow it. And then I was like, huh, how did she get by it? You know, and then there's this whole tie in where she somehow slipped in maybe the back of Anakin's block or something. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I thought it was too soon. Too soon. Well, Scott, you know, if you if you listen to Dave Filoni's commentary, he does say, look, when we when we have an idea for putting, uh, you know, a reference or, you know, something as, you know, as, as, as prominent as carbon freezing into an episode of The Clone Wars, it's got to make sense. We, it, it, there has to be a reason for it. So in this case, the reason was that they needed a way to hide from the, from the scanners so that there would be no humans aboard uh, the shuttle coming to the Citadel. Uh, was, does it hold up for you, Scott? Was it enough reason or... Do you agree yeah, with I mean, on, uh, Dean? On, on uh, yeah, as far as the excuse, it was it was pretty good. I thought. I mean, you know, and this is a universe or galaxy where Darth Vader made built C three PO as a little kid. So I can, you know, it, it, with that established, you know, the seeing the carbon freezing show up can't you know throw you for too much of a loop. But uh, it, it it's uh it was a good way of of, of hiding the uh, the life life signs. I thought, and and you know, as far as uh, the the question of uh, Darth Vader would have known it worked. You know, as far as that in Empire, maybe he was—he didn't know if that particular machine was going to work, and he certainly didn't want to harm uh, Luke Skywalker. Uh, so he was going to test it out first. So you know, I guess that's—that's that's my theory, at least. Jimmy, I think that um, th- this actually fits really, really well. Quite honestly, I mean, one—we want to know more about Darth Vader. We want to know more about what makes. Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, what makes Anakin, Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, these experiences so that you have these reminders when you're watching the films that that's not just some mysterious guy in a suit, that that's Anakin Skywalker in there. So after seeing this episode now, when I think about, you know, in Empire, this facility is crude, but it should be adequate to free Skywalker on his journey to the Empire. You know, that whole bit, I'm like, yes, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. And Anakin is a, definitely an out-of-the-box thinker. And so now I think that this is actually a really cool, personally, I think it's a really cool contribution to Star Wars canon. And it, it, was, and it was, you know, neat eye candy, too. But Dean yeah. says too much too soon. Uh, you know, I, that's, that's his opinion. I always welcome these these nods to the original trilogy in the Clone Wars series. More so than I would have liked to see them in the actual prequels. I like seeing them in this format because it connects the two. It's, it, the Clone Wars makes a nice bridge between the prequel trilogy and the uh, original trilogy, even though it doesn't happen within that, that time period. It actually happens within the prequels. But it's a good way to sort of bridge the two trilogies together. And as far as the carbon freezing process as presented in the Clone Wars, um, Kyle has pointed out to us several times via text, emails, phone calls, voice messages. (laughs) Every way he could get a hold of us, he told us, hey, well, I guess that blows out the theory of hibernation sickness. My answer to that is this. Why 
you know, they, they didn't suffer from the blindness that mm. Han Solo suffered from. I think there's ways to explain all this away. I really yeah, do. I mean, they, they were only in that for a right. short trip. A, a few yeah, hours. It, it, Han Solo was in there for years. Um, right. For one. So now, the one thing that I, I, I kind of agree with Kyle on this point was that when they unfroze, um, there was like no sludge. There was no carbon carbon sludge on them. And it was almost like a, uh, an explo- like a powder kind of explosion. Right. But again, you have to consider they only took a, a nap. You know, they right. were only. Or out- is that is that proof of how the facility on Besbin, as, as Jimmy, you point out, Billy D always calls it Besbin, uh, w- was crude. And this was a very sophisticated carbon freeze uh, unit, perhaps. Yeah. So uh, all of those things we could put into play, um, you know, just the fact that they were not frozen for that long a period of time, you know, perhaps the, the, the carbonite doesn't chemically break down into that sludge until after a certain amount of time. Right. And um, you'd have to figure if it was a, a common way of shipping materials that were, uh, you know, potentially dangerous, I believe that's what they mostly use carbon freezing for, you don't want it to have all that sludginess and everything all over it. That's it. Wouldn't be popular to use because it would be ruining all of its, all of the all the product. I kind of you know. I kind of think about it being used for like transporting livestock. You know, imagine you know if you could transport live cattle, animals, you know, for food in carbonite. Well, we got an email actually. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead real quick here. We we got an email from a guy uh, from Chubaba. Um, he said, he goes, uh, another a thought occurred to me. What the heck are carbon freezing chambers really supposed to be used for? Apparently, they're easy to come by. The Jedi had access to a six-pack, and the Uggies at Cloud City seemed to throw one together without any trouble. But all we've seen them used for is to turn our heroes into meat popsicles. What is the normal function of a carbon freezing chamber? Uh, I, I kind of thought livestock. What were you guys thinking? Like, what would this typically be used for? Any perishable item, I imagine. Yeah, or or things that are like volatile in nature that are dis- difficult to ship, like explosives or um, mm. chemicals. Yeah, but uh, and also I want to point out that in the in the commentary Dave did for this episode on StarWars dot com, he says that he and Henry Gilroy used to sit around and discuss bringing back freezing people in carbonite, bringing it back to the Clone Wars, and this is probably even before they actually started producing these shows it was a very early concept and it was such a popular concept with henry that he included it in one of his dark horse comics called um clone wars the shipyards of doom and he featured some jedi being frozen in carbonite yeah i I remember when they released the first uh few frames of that and uh i thought that was i thought that was really cool it's it's definitely a concept that i'm glad to see come back to star wars um you get a sense um for whatever reason, when I, I can actually remember this as a kid watching Empire Strikes Back and, and thinking back that they used it to ship Jedi, like Jedi prisoners of some sort. <laughs> uh, so the, it, it wasn't too far off. Here you got a bunch of clones and a bunch of Jedi being uh, frozen in carbonite and shipped around. I, I thought it was kind of a, a welcome, uh, you know, uh, welcome return. Um, but here's, a, here's a theory. Uh, if yeah. you want to kind of extrapolate forward what we learned in the Clone Wars, and um, maybe someone can write a book about this in the future, but you know how Darth Vader was trying to sell to Luke the whole plan of him helping him take uh, take over the Empire and destroy the Emperor? 
maybe he was his idea was to sneak Luke into the Death Star, into wherever the uh, the Emperor was going to be, without the Emperor knowing about it. Maybe maybe this also suppresses uh, the Force or something, and uh, he was going to be able to uh, get Luke near the Emperor in order to help him uh, take him out. You know, that's a really good question. I never thought of that. Is there an effect on the 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 person's ability to u- use the force while hibernating in carbonite? Well, certainly if you were bringing Luke close to the emperor, the emperor would sense his presence coming. So, you know, right. here's a way to, to, to scoot him in, you know, hide him under uh, the emperor's bed at night one night. And, and, <laughs> and thaw him set out. Set the timer and to thaw him out at, at you know, 3 a.m. I can't see. I can't see. <laughs> the lost scene. Maybe that'll be on the Blu-ray. <laughs> of course, you How know, we're overlooking, we're overlooking the most obvious uh, answer to this whole thing is is now we're going to have, what, six more uh, action figures oh, of, of the different I can only hope so. You know what? Carbonite. You know what? All right, Hasbro, here's your chance. Here's your chance. You got it? And and what I loved about this is that the actual setting of the carbon freezing chamber was pretty pretty close to the one on Cloud City, except it had, you know, uh, multiple uh, platforms. But can we finally, can we finally in the year 2011 get a playset? Can we get a carbon freezing chamber playset for the three and three quarter inch figures, please? Now that it's in Clone Wars, now that it's Clone Wars canon, can we get some love for carbon freezing, and I love the idea of having an Anakin in carbonite action figure. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you grew up as a kid thinking about. You know, um, yeah. I, I I think it's very very cool. So did they I make would, a um, uh, micro machines playset for that. Well, they did. They did the, the vintage micro collection. They did, and that was one of my favorite toys as a kid growing up, as I had the whole Cloud City set, and that was a great playset. And I think they did a modern version micro machines. Um, but it was not nearly as cool as the the one with you know the diecast figures that right. they had. I mean that was really de- I, I remember thinking these were like model kits. I mean they were really well detailed. So uh, yes, I am actually happy for that. So hopefully at San Diego Comic Con we'll see some some new uh, Carbonite uh, action figures. Very cool stuff. But that wasn't the biggest thing. That really wasn't the biggest thing in this episode is in terms of uh, of throwback. Jimmy Mack, I, I want to throw it to you because you at one point said something that I thought was very profound on the, on the roundtable because we were talking about Zillow Beast and we were talking about, you know, the third man and we were talking about all these things. And you go, you know what? I want to see a Clone Wars episode inspired by Star Wars. And as I was watching this episode, particularly for the second time ago, this is Jimmy Mack's episode. This <laughs> is Clone Wars inspired by Star Wars. So what did you think? It sure did have that that vibe, didn't it? And it had an original trilogy vibe, and 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 it had the elements that make great Star Wars great, like fun banter between the main characters, excellent music steeped in the tradition of John Williams, fast paced action, a bad guy you love to hate, and it just had that exciting adventure that made the original Star Wars have that that. That it was steeped in like the 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 old cereal from the 30s and 40s, like the Buck Rogers sort of feel to it, where you have our characters running around in a uh, in a, in, a, in a prison, breaking out prisoners, running through the hallways, disabling guns and devices. And how about that great scene when they climbed up the rock face? It was mm-hmm. just it had all these elements. 
I like how when, whenever a clone died, Obi-Wan was just, yeah, it sucks to be you kind of attitude. <laughs> he was. I picked up on that. He really was. It was just like, just okay, no time. No They're time. just disposable to him. When the, when the one fell off the cliff face, and of course we have our buddies from the five zero first here with us. That that must like you know kind of hurt you guys on <laughs> yeah, the side. So I picked up on it and was I wasn't too impressed with Obi Wan at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Charger, <laughs> I believe, was the young clone's name who fell to his demise there as they climbed up that cliff face. But uh, you're you're absolutely right. There was definitely, definitely. Um, just yeah, disposable is is the sort of attitude I got from Obi Wan Kenobi. Something else that sort of ties this into the original Star Wars was the brief scene with R two and three PO. It had the the classic droid repartee between the two of them when three PO yeah. says a line like "Don't you go thumbing your gears at me," you know? It's just classic Star Wars. And uh, and Dave mentioned this on his commentary. He said that it definitely. Um, or, no, actually, he didn't say it in the commentary. He said it in his press release for this show that this yeah. episode reminded him of old-fashioned, original trilogy Star Wars action. And I agree. I mean, sure, the most obvious connection is the inclusion of Tarkin, but there were more subtle nods to the ori- original trilogy just throughout the whole episode from design to pacing to character mm-hmm. interaction and repartee. I really felt it. I really felt that this was a Clone Wars episode inspired by Star Wars. Let's talk about um, chronology and timeline for a moment. We know one of the things that's kind of plagued this season of the Clone Wars, particularly the first half, was it was just, Dean, it was back and forth, back and forth. You never knew where you were in the timeline. It was hard to judge character growth and all of that. But we know now, starting with, I believe it was the Night Sisters trilogy, that we are now chronological. So all the events that we've seen over the last six weeks have led to this moment. And it opens Mm -hmm. up where Mm -hmm. Ahsoka wants to go in on this mission. And Anakin says, no. No. He says, you're not going to take the risk. I'm not going to take the risk of losing you. And we know that he experienced on Mortis, whether it was real or unreal, he experienced losing Ahsoka. In fact, when she came back, you know, they embraced, which I thought was kind of interesting. So what does this mean for the future of the Anakin-Ahsoka relationship? Um, this, is, this is not a, a you know, brand new Padawan here, but he's telling her no on these missions. Right, right. Well, that's the one thing that I that I do um, you know appreciate about that relationship that they have is that we know that Anakin, you know, his fall to the dark side has a lot to do with his inability to deal with loss, right? Um, right. So I, I like the fact that um, you know, and that's that's the ultimate question everybody always says is like, how come you know no one ever talks about Ahsoka in uh, you know what episode three or or beyond, you know, and. Um, I like the fact that there's that potential there for the loss of Ahsoka, however it might turn out, whether she is exiled or she's killed or she's, you know, who knows what. Um, I like the fact that, that it's something that is going to be so dramatic or traumatic, I should say, for Anakin that he doesn't even talk about it and, and Obi-Wan doesn't even hint at it because he knows, like, you know, if Anakin dwells on this too much, it's really going to push him mm further and further to the dark side so dean that's um, cool i never i never thought of it that way that's really cool i had never so, thought of it that way yeah but that's you know i mean so i don't mind the fact that um that he's being protective of her and it, and it makes sense like you said he saw you know there was some foretelling uh in the mortis uh story arc you know where he's like you know he feels he's going to lose somebody and 
um, that plagues him through episode three with Padme. You know, and that's maybe maybe that's why he's so obsessed with these dreams about losing Padme, which ultimately does happen, is because what we didn't see was that he had a very close Padawan that you know that he went through the same thing. You know, he grew closer and closer to her and. And now here he is trying to protect her and telling her not to go and put herself in harm's way. And she's like, well, that should be my right to do that. And it's just driving him crazy. And uh, so ultimately, you know, I don't know how the story is going to turn out. But, uh, you know, when he does lose her, it's going to really, um, you know, take him that much farther to the dark side, which is where, you know, where we all want to see him go anyway. Scott, uh, Ahsoka doesn't take no for an answer here. She appeals to uh, Master Plo Koon. And but she says something that's pretty, pretty interesting. And, you know, couple this with what we're hearing about Obi-Wan's almost dis, um, kind of uh, careless uh, attitude, cavalier attitude he has towards the loss of the clones. Uh, Ahsoka talks about she says, you know, when and how I put uh, my life in danger should be my choice. You know, this issue of choice, the way the Jedi are procured uh, as infants. And, you know, we, we, we saw this last season and then we're talking about the clones and their individual rights and all of this. I mean, right now she's lobbying to go on a dangerous mission. But what kind of implications does this issue have? Look, I may be a Padawan, but how and when I put my life in danger is my choice. What kind of implications does this have for the Jedi Order? Well, I, I thought it was a little, little odd, and in, in the same, you think that uh, if they have a mission and a plan, they need to have all of that kind of. They they need to know exactly what's going on and not have any surprises. So it's it seems kind of uh, working against the whole mission to suddenly sneak somebody. You know, it's kind of like a teenager sneaking out of the house at night. Um, there, there, you, you'd expect there to be a bit more discipline and expected of a Jedi. So. Um, as far as how that affects the, you know, the the, uh, the Jedi Order, I'm, I'm not sure. How, it, it, it part, possibly it's it could uh, the the breakdown of discipline is part of the what's going on and, and part of the negative. I don't, I'm not sure. Jimmy Mack, I mean, she uh, she goes over Anakin's head here. Yeah, and, she does. Uh, and yeah, she does. And what? And do you think? I mean, what does Plo Koon say that would? convince her because obviously this would happen off screen or does he say anything that would convince her to take matters into her own hands to the extent that she does and you know shows up there you know gets herself frozen in carbonite gets shipped off to the citadel with everybody else and then you know there she is was that Plo Koon or was that her following her other master that's a good question, Jason, because as you said, it's something that's sort of left open to interpretation because it's happened off screen. We didn't really see that conversation between Ahsoka and Plo reach its climax, so to speak, because, you know, it just sort of had an open ending. And then the next thing you know, she is with the team being unfrozen from carbonite. I think Plo Koon aided her in getting her frozen carbonite and Put on that ship. I think really, he her out. yeah. Because somebody you know had what? to flip the switch. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah right. true. And the the Ugnaughts. <laughs> <laughs> How many Ugnaughts does it take to freeze Ahsoka Tano? <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Plo Koon realizes that Anakin Skywalker is something of a loose wire, and he needs somebody he can trust keeping an eye on Anakin. So he sends Ahsoka along, sort of as his representative to keep her eyes on Anakin and sort of maybe keep him 
on the straight and narrow. However, Ahsoka is very impressionable, and she has picked up a lot of Anakin's traits, as we hear in this episode. Essentially, Anakin is getting the reputation for being a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of instructor. And um, that could be a possibility, though. Are the Jedi already starting to... Mm. At this point in the Clone Wars, are they already starting to distrust Anakin a little bit? Because by the time we reach Revenge of the Sith, they full on don't trust. Well, what kind of what kind of obligation does Obi-Wan have to the rest of the council to describe his experience on Mortis and what he learned of Anakin? Is this the first time we've seen Anakin on a mission since all the Jedi around him know that he is the chosen one? What do you think, Dean? Uh, you know, I have to say, let me just, just disclaimer here that the Mortis trilogy or whatever, it, it didn't really do it for me. Okay. Um, it was very, I don't know, existential and very, I, I know they were trying to explain some things, but I, I am more of a fan of like this episode, like the Citadel where it's back to the mission and adventure and, and I don't mind them like referencing something like. You know, oh, I've I've heard of this planet where it maintains balance, you know, between the force and, you know, so it's sort of a mythical kind of thing that they mm-hmm. talk about. But the fact that they actually went there and then that Anakin is, is somehow so important to the, you know, we know he's important to the balance of the force. But I've always kind of felt like that was sort of, you know, in figurative terms and, and the Mortis thing made it seem so literal um, that, you know, so I don't know, I, I prefer not to comment on that. Okay, all right. So your your personal views of the whole Mortis uh, trilogy are getting in the way. Are getting Spoiling in the way. The show, yeah, my personal yeah, take on things. Yeah, yeah, uh, precludes you from from answering the question. But uh, yet, you know, I do have to point out uh-huh. um, from a historical perspective that is the first no comment we've ever received. It here. is. I, I, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and and I, I just want to point out to our esteemed colleagues here that the reason we want you guys sitting here at the round table with me and Jason is to hear your personal opinion. And we will honor your, uh, your, your right to refuse the question, but <laughs> don't let your own personal tastes or opinions interfere with your answering because the reason you guys are here is to provide your unique perspective on what we see in these episodes so that being said we'll move forward let's but move yeah, forward let's the first no comment yeah the it first is no comment we've ever gotten. Uh, hey scott let's talk about azkaban for jedi uh the, the harry potter fans may uh, i get the reference there um that's exactly what the citadel is which i thought was i mean i i'd like to see a uh, more about the history of the Citadel. I mean, it's in Separatist territory, but at one point this was built. This was a prison built to hold Jedi. And I, it, it did remind me a lot of the idea of Azkaban uh, in, in Harry Potter. Um, and See, that I can talk about, and you ask Scott. So. Oh, 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 you know what? <laughs> you know what, Scott? If you don't mind, we'll, we'll yield go to ahead, Dean. Will you yield your time? I, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't remember if they gave any background on that other than the, uh, the head honcho talking about squeezing, squeezing Jedis in the past. Squeezing Jedi, right. All right, uh, Dean. The well, Cit- okay, so, so here's the, the thing about the Citadel is, you know, when, when, and, and apparently I'm guessing that this is like the first in, in another story arc. Because it kind of left us hanging at the mm-hmm. end, you know. They didn't really. Yeah, it's get another. Off it's, an, it's part of this first another three parter. Okay, so 
there you go. I mean, I love the fact that this concept, like you said, it's like an Azkaban for Jedi or whatever. And and they very briefly, I watched the episode a couple of times because I was like, did I miss something? Because they didn't really explain like you know who who built it really. They just said it was a Jedi prison. Right. And at one point, they mentioned something that alluded to the fact that it would contain rogue Jedi. Yeah. But it didn't say like like you know exactly what you know uh, how they lost it to the separatists and then when they're going to this planet you know the the planet which was a cool design of a, you know we see snow planets and desert planets and jungle planets this was like a half destroyed planet you know yeah right which uh, again reminded me a little bit of death star 2 from return of the jedi the mm-hmm. kind of half completed death star yeah and when you get onto the planet's surface the actual structures um you know are very reminiscent of the death star as as you know, Jimmy pointed out the hallways and the and the uh, the little six lens cameras and the detention cell where they go to free the prisoners, all very much like the actual uh, you know the Death Star interior. So I thought it was a great concept, but they didn't go into enough of the history about it. So maybe in the the next two episodes or whatever, you're going to see that. But here's the thing that I thought was interesting is if you guys think back to season three, episode one, Arc Troopers. That was the uh, the training scenario was called the Citadel that the uh, that Echo and Fives who actually were in this episode that was their training scenario and they had to climb that small scale tower so it kind of reminded me of like well that's they actually went here and they've you know they, they huh. had the training for this sort of thing and here they are climbing this tower to get inside the Citadel so I thought that was a cool tie in wow that is a cool I t- that totally went past me Jimmy did you pick up on that. No, no, this is a new insight to me, so I think that is a very cool observation. Yeah. You want some more insight? Please. All right. Well, the fortune cookie for this episode is what? Adaptation is the key to survival? Right. Okay. If uh, you go back and you watch Arc Troopers, again, ep- season three, episode one, uh, was it Shock T? I think was one of the... Shakti and the two bounty hunters were like evaluating the cadets, right? Mm-hmm. right. And uh, and she says specifically about Echo, the one they call Echo never adapts to the situation. And in this episode, you have Echo, and here he is. And the fortune cookie is adaptation is the key to survival. So, you know, there's a little bit of a tie in there, which kind of yeah. made me think like maybe there's going to be a little bit more where Echo does something that's like really, uh, you know, really mind blowing and like wow, he's really you know come into his own. We haven't seen that yet, but he, he has survived so far. So anyway, I thought that was cool. So there's that's my, very cool. There's the, I, I'm, that's the anti no comment for you. I kind of <laughs> ed, edged in there sideways, pushed Scott right out of the way. Oh, and let, gave oh, you a piece of my mind. Yeah, no, poor Scott. All right, Scott, let's talk about, uh, even peel. Uh, this is, um, <laughs> he gets I, to talk about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get, I just can't the, get past his name. Sorry. Even peel. Uh, yeah. yeah, it is. It is kind it of a, like, it's you something know, you hear I, on the I, food you know, network, someone, isn't it? Someone who can wield a Ginsu knife. Yeah. Uh, right. I was like very, very, uh, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. To see <laughs> food network. Um, the baby Herman of the star Wars universe actually is kind of what I, what I thought I, 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 I liked his, I liked his, uh, his Clone Wars uh, characterization very much, actually. I, I like that. You know, we got another kind of Eastern European sort of accent here where the V's are pronounced or the W's are pronounced like V's. I couldn't quite place the accent, but, um, you know, a lot of people thought of him as, as the episode guide points out, you know, the pink Yoda. 
and we've you know we've had a chance to meet a number of these um, Jedi Council members. In fact, Jay Shepard was kind enough to uh, send us an email. He says after this episode, the only Council members left to include are Apo Rancisis, Depa Bilaba, that's the Indian-looking woman, and Coleman uh, Kaj, uh, that's the Angry Jedi with the upside-down head. And of course, Apo Rancisis is the snaky long beard. Um, and we we didn't really hear much from most of these folks in the in the movies. Scott, are the are the Jedi Council members uh, are they living up to your expectations? You know, one like uh, even Peel, even if you don't like his name. Um. Well, he got caught, so I mean, you know, that's that's kind of a downer right there. I mean, how good could he <laughs> well, be? everybody makes but. mistakes, right? <laughs> but what did he, he do and with and that? Then he came off yeah. as a bit of a jerk too. Aren't they supposed to be a, a you know Jedi supposed to be? Uh, he, I mean, he, wasn't he a bit arrogant in a way? Did Jim, uh, Jim I don't know. Hey, Jim, Jimmy, I don't know about you, but I'm sensing a theme with these uh, 501st guys. Uh, they don't have much good to say about Jedi, first of all. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> they, They've apparently heard about Order 66 already. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. Go ahead. Well, yeah, it's, that's that's pretty much my take on him. I, I, he, I, was, so, I was too busy checking out uh, you know, the details and the and, and, and and thinking about the episode three, you know, our clone trooper helmet. When when is that going to extract? You know, spread more and 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 like as Dean mentioned earlier, the the three lens camera that we saw on the Death Star um, showing up in this set. I was just like, oh look! And you know, my wife was like, uh huh. And uh, <laughs> so those are the kind of details I was excited about. Even even I, I really didn't form a huge my uh, theory or mindset about uh, even Peel other than I I, I thought he was a. Uh, he had some like short short man's you know compensation thing going on. <laughs> well, as one short man, I will tell you, I liked even Peel, Jim. Jim, I liked even Peel quite a bit. I I I, I kind of get tired of the sort of you know stare at your navel and contemplate life, Mace Windu, and uh, and you know kind of kind of Jedi. Um, I even Peel kind of re- reminds me of a, a Jedi, kind of in the model of a of an Anakin in a way. I mean, not not to that degree, but but he's feisty. Um, he, uh, he's got some, he's got some attitude. I thought he was kind of a breath of fresh air for a Jedi council, uh, Jedi master. Yeah. He's definitely got loads of personality and I like seeing Jedi with personality. I like seeing Jedi in action as opposed to just sitting around in the circle in the Jedi council chambers, which is the only place we've ever seen master Peel. Um, as far as his, his voice goes, that Russian voice, uh, me and Kyle joke around a lot about the Fate of the Jedi audiobook series read by Mark Thompson, who is a very talented uh, reader for those audiobook series. But he often does do a Russian or thick European accent for aliens in that series. And it's always like that. Where's my vodka? You know, it's just... <laughs> And so it almost becomes kind of cliched. So I instantly thought of those audiobooks when I first heard Master Peel speak. But I did like his attitude. I do like seeing Jedi outside of the Jedi Council and, and showing us what makes them masters. Uh, I think we still have yet to see the best of even Peel. And uh, I think in these next couple episodes, we're going to see him really shine. Um, yeah. and, and maybe we'll find out start. why he's not in episode three. Yeah, yeah. I and I also like that they threatened his his one good eye. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was that was pretty that was pretty hardcore. But I mean, he was not going to break. In fact, I mean, what what I liked is I thought it was pretty cool the way he uh, handled this situation where he has one half of 
the information that they need about the Nexus routes, the hyperspace lanes, and Dean, who has the other half that we find out? Will Huff? Will. Scott Will Huff? Scott, <laughs> Scott Will Huff. What? Scott, Scott Will Huff. That's, will Huff yeah, Tarkin. That's me. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Stephen Stanton as the voice of Tarkin, I thought was very well done. Are, are we are we changing to Tarkin now? Are yeah, we we're, we're yeah. You've got the first Tarkin question, man. We're talking Tarkin. Yeah. All right. uh, again, the, I thought the voice characterization was very well done. It for some reason it worked for me. It sounded like a younger, um, uh, definitely uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah, younger Peter Cushing. Yep. And um, and here's the thing that I thought was sort of ironic was that the the animated Clone Wars Tarkin, and, and you know, talk about the animated characters. You know, you look at the, uh, uh, you know, the the Qui Gons and the uh, the characters that we're used to seeing, you know, as live people, and then they're like, wow, they're kind of distorted here. And Obi Wan with his kind of weird cartoony beard and everything. I mean, we're kind of used to that now, but the animated Tarkin I thought looked better, in my opinion, than the overly you know, prostheticized episode three Targon uh, that was played by uh, really? Wayne Pigman. Oh. Yeah, right. Um, now, our, our good buddy Paul Bateman from Across the Pond was really disappointed that Wayne did not get a chance to voice uh, Tarkin either in episode three or in The Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Wayne is known as being just a dead ringer for uh, uh, Peter Cushing and just do, really? I mean, just, yes, just he happens to look very much like him and is and has a voice that is um, very, very close to uh, Peter Cushing's. And Paul sent around some YouTube clips in, uh, in an upcoming roundtable. We're going we're gonna to do some actually some voice comparison. Um, so not to bemoan the fact of the, uh, of, the whole, of, the, of the voice, I thought it was, personally, I thought it was all right. It didn't knock me out, but I agree with you wholeheartedly about the look of Tarkin. And he was less stylized. And Jimmy, you were talking about Chewie, and you were glad that Chewie, the clips that we've seen of uh, the upcoming episode with Chewbacca, that he wasn't overstylized. What did you think about Tarkin? Did you think they, they struck a good balance there? I think they nailed his look pretty well. And I think all in all, the animation seen in this episode is more realistic. It's not as wooden and marionette-like the Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. Um, they still maintain that flavor, but they appear to be more organic. There appears to be a softness in the animation that we weren't seeing in previous seasons. And I would like to point out that I was very happy in that scene where they were climbing up the cliff face. You really got to see Obi-Wan and Anakin's hair moving with the wind. And it's just <laughs> that subtle little... And I know I've been bemoaning the fact since the movie... Uh-huh the, the mm-hmm. debut of the Clone Wars, that in order to convey the George Lucas directive of faster, more intense, you have to have these characters hair. It has to be moving when they're in a speeder, when they're climbing up the cliff face, Ahsoka says, wow, it's really windy up here. Something <laughs> paraphrase. Okay. Right. You don't, you don't, you can't feel the wind coming off the TV set. You need something to represent it. Sure. Their, their clothes move a little bit, but when their hair is just staying so still defying the logic of even the most industrial strength hairspray, then you, you say, well, you know what? This is not faster, more intense. I think that little subtle animation effort makes all the difference in the world to to taking the woodenness out of these characters and making them appear more real, appear more human. Um, as far as Tarkin goes, uh, they nailed the look. 
the uh, voice actor I I think did a fine job capturing the the sort of tempo of the way Peter Cushing would deliver his lines. But there was something a little askew about the voice. I can find that. I, I forgive that, though, because we are talking a good 20, 25 years prior to the events of A New Hope. And everyone's voice changes over time. So that's yeah. my apologist um, exception of the way that that character was performed. I would have liked to have hear, heard him trill those R's a little bit more in the classic Shakespearean way that uh-huh. Peter Cushing would uh-huh. because that added a sense of sophistication. Aristocracy. Yes. Aristocracy. Exactly. Um, privileged. And, uh, he was very, definitely very privileged, Tarkin. Privileged. You got that sense. Yes. Yeah. And, and that I heard a more pedestrian Tarkin in yeah. this. Not someone who had that era Less of affected, you might say. He had an affected way of speaking. And uh, maybe that's something that we can see, like you pointing out, Jim, you know, 20, 25 years uh, before the events of A New Hope, maybe, you know, his ascension in the ranks uh, could could lead to a more affected way of talking. But I think, uh, Scott, that they pretty well nailed his characterization because immediately he starts arguing. He starts <laughs> arguing with yeah, everybody. Immediately he was... Uh... He already thought that he he really was in con- he should be controlling things. He should be making decisions, and I don't think that he liked that he needed to be rescued in that instance. Yeah, I, that's that's great that you picked up on that. I I thought that too. He was almost embarrassed by the thing, um, and you know he just starts needling Obi Wan immediately, and then Anakin. I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, when you think about you know the what their future relationship might be like. And it caused me to wonder, and I don't want to open a whole can of worms here, uh, Scott, but, but do you think that the, the Tarkin that we meet in episode four knows that the guy in the black suit was once Anakin Skywalker, the guy that rescued him from the Citadel? I don't know. It's, it, it seems like the secret that they kind of only Obi-Wan and uh, the emperor might know. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen any indication of, of anything else that, that would that would uh, indicate otherwise. It's, it seems like it was they wanted everyone to believe Anakin was dead, and uh, here's this new guy who's shown up. Um, but um, whether or not Tarkin knew, um, it's hard to say. It's hard to, you know, without just pure speculation. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Mack, what do you think about uh, the Tarkin anakin relationship and you know he does say in episode four you my friend are all that's left of their religion so he certainly knows that vader is a practitioner of the jedi arts yeah yeah Yeah. well you know i think he just realizes that vader is a force user and not necessarily the, the same jedi as anakin skywalker maybe he has his suspicions that vader is a former jedi but I don't think the connection is made between Anakin and Vader. I think that's something that's buried deep down inside of Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader. That's not anything that's talked about. That's not anything that's even hinted about. Anakin Skywalker is dead at this point for all intents and purposes because Darth Vader is the one who took over Anakin's personality. And there's no way it could slip out. Who would even know? Who would know? You know, yeah. it was a top secret medical facility that the emperor took 
uh, Anakin Skywalker too in his burnt state. To so as far as as far as the Imperials or the clones that later become the Imperials know, Anakin Skywalker perished as part of Order sixty six. Yes, yes, and uh, that's probably what became public knowledge. Although, at that point. although we do see him leading a. A, uh, a garrison, if that's the right word, fellas, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, a garrison of the 501st, the raid on the temple. So the clones would not have turned on Anakin. Right. So they might yeah. just feel that he perished in on Mustafar in a, in a battle with the Separatist leaders or with Obi-Wan Kenobi. But in some way, oh. so, so the consensus of the panel here is that Anakin, as far as anyone other than Emperor Palpatine, Yoda, and... Uh, Obi-Wan are concerned. A few, a few, uh, few shark yeah. troopers who helped pick him up, maybe. And, I'll, and I'm sure the Emperor had them wasted. No witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. witnesses. No witnesses. Well, there is the wild card, though, of Bail Organa. Who right. Knows yes. He's a wild he is and a R2-D2. wild card. And R2-D2, of course. Yeah. Yeah, great, great, great thoughts. Um, Dean, um, when, we t- when we see Tarkin uh, arguing, he's arguing about tactics. And... Uh, we know that Tarkin, if if anything, is is a brilliant tactician. No, sure. No, no, I agree. I think I think, uh, like I said, I you know, I, I really uh, you know, I kind of cringe at the idea of bringing in um, you know certain characters where it's like such a huge universe and why why they have to repeat this character. Um, but as we've already discussed, I mean, that's that's just sort of how this is. You know, the the mirrors and the uh, the reflections that that go back and forth throughout. You know the films, and now the now the TV show. Um, but I thought, as far as a logical connection, I really enjoyed Tarkin coming in there, and I'm curious to see now. Um, I mean, he was really just at the tail end of this particular episode, but like you said, you know, from from the moment they hook up with him, he's kind of second guessing their their strategy, and he's saying, "Well, maybe we should do this instead." And and that kind of it continued like all the way to the end, and he's you know. He's talking to Anakin, and Anakin's like saying, "Oh, well, you know, you should be a little more grateful." And then he kind of gives a little smirk. Tarkin gives a little smirk, and then it <laughs> sort of sort of closes there. And I'm not sure if that's like you know he kind of likes him or whatever. But I, you know, like you were saying, the consensus is that no one really knows you know that Anakin is Vader outside of certain people. But I I kind of like the idea that Tarkin would know and that he's worked uh. with him before. And it always struck me in A New Hope that. Um, or let's just say the entire original trilogy, that aside from the Emperor, um, Tarkin was really the only one who was never really afraid of Vader. Right, you know, he, he, right. Uh, you know, he, everybody else kind of, you know, just walked in his shadows and the troops were always trying to catch up to him. He was leading the way and, you know, he's choking people. But he's, you know, Tarkin's the one who's like, you know, like you said, he calls him, you know, his friend. He's like, you, my friend, are the... You know the yeah. last of uh, you know the that religion or whatnot, and then um, he's also the one who's you know he's barking orders at Vader. You know he's he's release her, yeah, yeah, you know, release him, yeah, yes. Vader, yeah. Vader, release him, and Vader's like he's like as uh, you whatever, wish, you know? as you wish, and, uh, exactly. And so I kind of you know Tarkin definitely has um, you know he's got some sort of relationship status or. Um, he out. You know, let's face it. He outranks, he outranks Vader. Uh, yeah, he so absolutely we outranks that. Vader. So, so what's going to be interesting, and what I hope that the Clone Wars can do, is fill in that gap. How does you know? Obviously, Palpatine's uh, number one priority here, Jimmy, at this point is Anakin Skywalker taking over the, uh, you know, seizing control, converting Anakin Skywalker over to the dark side. How does this little 
kind of scrawny, foppish uh, aristocrat or whatever you want to call him rise to the ranks? What kind of favor does he pull with Palpatine? Um, you think we'll see that? Well, I would love to see that. Yeah, he's definitely. involved from the Death Star from the beginning, too. So you got to remember that he must have some kind of education or skill in that area. Right. Well, yeah, but the plans for the Death Star come from the Geonosians. And how Tarkin manages to get involved with that project and get his fingerprints on that remains to be seen. But that certainly is the way he rose in Vader's, or I'm sorry, he rose in Palpatine's favor is his involvement with. The ultimate weapon. You assume is, that that was Tarkin's baby. Your assumption is that the, he's been there from the beginning. Yes. And the, well, you get the hint. Yeah. At the end of Revenge of the Sith, where he's supervising the construction on the bridge with the two big boys, Vader and the Emperor, you know, at that point. Now, here, now here's a question. Is 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 the illusion? St- I guess what I'm trying to say is, is Tarkin at that moment still just another republic you know a military officer or is he is he converted is he dark at this point is he evil because palpatine is you know is it a secret project that at that point or is this something that's going to bring about peace well the republic military it seems promotes things like ambition and being rewarded for being, you know, having that motivation to succeed. And I, I believe, you know, Tarkin is the, the poster boy for that at this time. He's, he's falling right into the design laid out by Palpatine. So, you know, he rises through the ranks because he is ambitious. He does want to succeed and he does believe in the new order, the order of peace, with the new order to come. What I predict is by the end of this story arc, you will see Tarkin receiving some sort of accolades or congratulatory pat on the back from Palpatine himself, where we will see the seeds planted for Tarkin's eventual ascension in the military ranks to basically becoming one of the closest guys to the emperor himself. As a matter of fact, Tarkin, I think this is according to the EU, um, he actually did have designs on eventually one day using the Death Star against Palpatine and to overthrow him and become emperor. Mm. So, so sort of that rule of two, but with a with a non Sith there in that case, because um, the dark side promotes that very selfish, aggressive way of being um, ambitious. And Tarkin himself does. You you said it yourself, Jason, that he sort of does he does sort of subscribe to a dark philosophy is in, in a political and military sense. So he could actually have the essence. I'm not saying he's a Sith Lord, but he shares what their essence is. He has the same desires as a Sith Lord. Well, you, gotta, you know, a lot changes, you know, a lot changes when you watch episode three. I mean, between what we, what we know of the Republic and the Republic officers, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, now they're building this this ultimate weapon. So, it, you know, the, my question is, you know, what, what I'm wondering is, you know, how secret is this thing at this point? And of course, when episode four opens up, if you listen to the radio drama, you know that this is the ultimate secret weapon. So this is obviously a very closed uh, and small circle of people that know about this. And, uh, you know, 
this is this is Tarkin's uh, fast track, I guess, to 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 rise to to power and status and all of that. Um, Scott, you were mentioning the technology, and Jimmy pointed out that the, yes, it's Genosian technology, but there's a lot about the Citadel that is reminiscent of the Death Star, or the Death Star is reminiscent of the Citadel, depending on which way you want to look at it. I mean, um, in at StarWars.com, the episode guide even mentions that you know the exterior uh, is is supposed to look you know very much like the death star the holding cell is almost exactly like it um so you get a sense that perhaps some of the technology used in this quote-unquote azkaban for jedi is certainly incorporated into tarkin's death star no yeah i mean you do see that a lot though uh, in other places where they'll 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 try to use other star wars designs to kind of keep that Star well, Wars but I'm, flavor What I'm wondering is, there. is there is there something beyond that? Is they are they really trying to create a connection here potentially between the Citadel, Tarkin, and the Death Star? It, it, it's it, it could be going along those lines. The one thing again that, that I thought jumped right out at me were those uh, the three lens cameras that uh, they shot were you know, the same cameras that were in the detention cell that that Chewbacca was shooting with his uh, MG34 and and. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool because that that was a very specific. Because I, I back back in the original Star Wars, I used to wonder what the heck those things were and why they're shooting at them. So now we know, um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. that's definitely uh, you know the connection I think potentially there. And it was you know again both were in detention center you know areas as well. Um, whether they're intentionally doing this or if it's just a Hey, let's 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 use something design wise that was in the first one. I guess we'll have to wait and see if they they run with that some fur, uh, with further. Dean wrote reprogrammed battle droids. What a great idea! Why haven't we seen this before? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, of course. Um, yeah, but I like the fact that they were. Um, it, it was kind of cool to see R two actually uh, in charge. I guess of. His own little squad or whatever. Well, that that was all R two. That whole mission was R two. Yeah. Really, the the, sex, right. the success of getting there. Although they just, you know, when they got to the planet, Anakin's like, "Thanks, R two. You stay here and just, you know, keep an eye on the ship." You know, but um, yeah, right. But yeah. I like the fact that the the battle droids. You know, they had the like an R two kind of paint scheme going on, which was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it makes makes sense to me. Um, I didn't like the, you know. <laughs> A lot of the battle droid banter, again, I, I feel is a th- it's still kind of a throwback to the, you know, to the it's very Jar Jar esque or whatever, and it's like, oh, we need some a humorous element in here, and you you think of the, um, you know, the, when they did the Clone Wars feature film, and there was a lot of that, you know, you know, oh, these battle yeah. droids, yuck, 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 and so you know they're doing things like you know, quiet, you're gonna. You know, you're going to spoil it. We're trying to sneak by the ship and, and you're not answering the questions right. And they're calling each other names and stuff. But, um, you know, that's just par for the course, I think, uh, with the battle droids. But, I, again, I kind of like the fact that, um, you know, it was a little bit of a uh, not really a Trojan horse kind of a theme. But, you know, it's the whole idea. Mm-hmm. I guess if you think about, um, you know, looking for mirrored kind of things, um, not that they were suits of armor, but, you know, when. Han and Luke went into the Death Star. They dressed as as the enemy, so this right. was kind of the same thing. You know, the droids. I like are, to see. I like to see them send those droids like in in amongst the other droids to kind of mix it up a bit and confuse everybody. And just mm-hmm. cause a little mayhem. Oh yeah, so they infiltrate uh, the other battle droids and 
Exactly. And yeah. See, just and, and just see to see happens. the confused uh, separatist droids. Jimmy Scott or uh, Dean was saying that you know he was noticing a little bit of the the whole Trojan horse kind of theme. I was thinking Return of the Jedi through that whole uh, uh, sequence of you know the the the, the piloted shuttle trying to gain uh, permission to land there at the Citadel. Oh, clearly, it, you yeah. know there was yeah there was definitely homages to Return of the Jedi, and we were talking at the top of the show about you know Star Wars. You know the Clone Wars being influenced by Star Wars. That whole sequence uh, seemed almost some of the dialogue was just taken right out of the pages of Return of the Jedi. I don't know. Fly casually, Roger, <laughs> Roger. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. That was an uh, an echo or <coughs> shadowing, foreshadowing, if you want to put it in the exact chronology. Um, it would be foreshadowing that very scene because, yeah, you know, they're just wondering if it'll work, and there's that tension, you know, as the ship is slowly being scanned you know will it actually work well, you know, it'll work it'll work it'll work <laughs> so, uh, so but yeah they, they played that tension very well and then i liked how it was cross-cutting from the separatists uh headquarters there at the citadel to uh or i, I should say the warden's office i was i guess his uh, title, right? That was the next thing I was going to say. You know, every great prison needs a needs a great warden, and we've got O.C. Sobek, which uh, voiced by James Arnold Taylor. And I'm I'm surprised I, when I went back and I looked at the episode guide, and it said that it was inspired by Christopher Walken. I, I now when I hear it back, I get it, but I thought it was Al Pacino. Al Pacino, I did too. Scent of a woman, Al Pacino. What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess I wasn't the only one. I got a text from Big Honk and Steve even. And he's like, was that Al Pacino in the Clone Wars I just saw? Um, th- this guy, he was clearly insane. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and you would have to be. You would have to be because I, I would. I don't imagine that they have a lot of inmates. I mean, I, I didn't get the sense that there were any inmates on this uh, particular uh, in this in this prison. Scott, what is it being used for? Just a separatist base? Yeah, was that guy just hanging around this whole time, waiting for a Jedi to come? You know, be sent to him. I'm, well, he definitely has a history with Jedi. He says, "Hey, breaking right. Jedi is our specialty." Well, that's what I mean. He's he's just been like twiddling his thumbs for the past you know couple of years, waiting for uh, waiting to go to be put to use. I guess doesn't seem like there was anything else there except a bunch of droids and and him hanging out. Yeah, no, it, right. It definitely was. Uh, you get the sense that he spent some lonely nights there, um, but. Uh, <laughs> I thought that the characterization um, of the guy, of Sobek, was pretty good. I mean, again, he's surrounded by nothing but uh, but droids. So you got that isolation thing going and not a whole lot of action. You probably don't get a whole lot of uh, rogue Jedi. And so, um, it, yeah, you got the sense this guy didn't have a whole lot to do in that um, <laughs> he, he could he could certainly use some socialization. Um, I like you know, the character. I was going to say that yeah, whole segment they, there reminded me a little bit of, uh, uh, I think O.C. Sobek, I mean, he's a, it's a classic character, like you said, like he's the, this, this, uh, um, like he's controlling some kind of game, you know, and he's watching from afar over the, the monitors. But it reminded me about Lair of Grievous, when Grievous was in the same situation, you know, he's kind of surrounded by droids, and he was, uh, when the clones were going in there with him, um, uh, or going after him, and he was kind of setting off traps as they as they went along and kind of just, you know, 
deviously, you know, enjoying to see, oh, let's see if they can get past this. Oh, now I'm going to release my pet creature to, you know, gore. And now I'm going to open up a trap door. And it was kind of the same thing with, uh, with this guy inside the Citadel. Yeah. Jimmy Mack, what'd you think about the, uh, OB, OC Sobek? <laughs> well, you know, like our esteemed colleagues here, I definitely felt the connection between him and Grievous, you know, they're, they're both dealing with these goofy battle droids and, in a, you know, frustrated. So in, it, to the point of where they both punish the battle droids whenever they do something, you know, that is uh, considered uh, offensive. But, uh, yeah, he's surrounded by them. It, it appears he doesn't have too much interaction with uh, actual people, um, prisoners or fellow officers or anything like that. So he's part, he is partially insane. Um, I think he still has his wits about him to a certain degree, but we shall see how that all unfolds as he meets his ultimate fate. I'm sure by the end of this episode, I don't think this guy will survive the events of the Citadel trilogy. Ah. I think, I think he will be killed off just because it seems like he's putting himself in that position. At least the creators of the show are. So he's one of the bad guys you love to hate. As I said before, I don't hear much Christopher Walken in him. Although I do know James does a fantastic Christopher Walken. Uh, I, I like you guys. I hear more Al Pacino and uh, I, like I said, I don't think he's going to survive this story arc. Getting back to our email. I mentioned that, uh, Chubaba had written us. He had, he had a couple of other thoughts here I wanted to, to bring up. He says, I was remembering the latest roundtable when you were laughing about the Ugnot Defamation League and being stereotyped with carbon freezing when the opposite thought occurred to me. What if Anakin Vader had the Ugnots brought to Cloud City specifically for their proficiency with carbon freezing technology? Clearly, it was his idea to freeze the team to sneak past the scanners, and the freezing team went perfectly, and the freezing went perfectly, so it would make sense that he would again use the Uggies again to freeze Luke. And, uh, you know, not to open this whole can of worms again, but I just think that's a great little bit of uh, retcon by uh, Andy Chubaba Lindman. Uh, he can he can not, get a not job to down his idea, but yeah. you do see the Ugnaughts cruising the hallways, like you know, heading back to like, their like they own the place, like they're heading they back to their apartments. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that maybe they adapt very or quickly. Under the stairs, yeah, under the stairs, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. And, and they do get the I, sense that, they, that you know these guys. This is their this is their field uh, you know, of expertise. This is their specialty. It's kind of like, you know, you want a good pizza, you want to go to a place that's run by, you know, a bunch of Italian guys, you know. You, you want good carbon freezing, you go to a place that's got the Ugnaughts handling the thing. The and then, of course, there's that, there's that line in Empire Strikes Back when Vader walks out onto the platform at the Cloud City freezing chamber and he says, This facility is crude, but you do have Ugnaughts, so it'll probably work. <laughs> And there was a line about extra anchovies. Uh, all right. Um, I do want to mention, too, uh, before you send the emails, that uh, Jay Shepard does say in his email to us that, keep in mind, that council members from Episode 1, Yaddle and Yariel, poof, have been killed off prior to Attack of the Clones. Now, that's according to the EU. So they'll probably not show up but you know what we did get eth koth so 
And uh, anyway, so as we as we continue to count down the Jedi Council members that show up on the Clone Wars, I'm glad that even Peel is in there. And I hope that we haven't seen the laugh of, last of him. That, that's that's for sure. Yeah, I want to mention real quick. A lot of people don't know this, but speaking of Ugnaughts, Scott actually has a, an Ugnaught costume. I'm not sure if I'm outing him here or not, but <laughs> really? talk about that. <laughs> he's the uh, he, he was he's the head of, he's the, the uh, captain of the Ugnaught basketball team. Actually, <laughs> six foot two Ugnaughts. <laughs> it, it was something I threw together for a uh, for a convention party. I, I was doing a raffle, so I was the prize Ugnaught taking the <laughs> raffle tickets around. And uh, yeah, I, I had the vintage mask. I threw it on. I I, I threw on a uh, an apron and a gray suit. And, <laughs> and I, I and I proceeded to creep everybody out for the rest of the night. <laughs> the, I'm sure you did. The prize Ugnot. Where else? Where else are you going to hear something like that? <laughs> And with that, we will end our Clone Wars roundtable look at Citadel. First in a new three-part arc that introduces us, chronologically speaking, to one Wilhuff Tarkin. And I really hope, I really hope, Jimmy, like we were talking about, that they do plant those seeds. In fact, I don't want to just see them plant seeds. I want to see some leafy sprouts growing up by the end of this three-part arc leading us to what we know about Tarkin. I'm I'm greedy. I want more. I want more. And In fact, wouldn't it be great if by the time we get to the season finale and what we've seen of that with Chewbacca and Ahsoka referring to him as a prisoner, there was... Maybe some Wookiees working on that secret base under the mm. cracking whip of Tarkin. Now, that would be some Blade cool Blade. Star Wars. Yeah, that would be some cool Star Wars. I'd love to see it. Maybe we're rushing things a little bit, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, guys, it's been great talking to you. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, esteemed members of the 501st, Dean Planamura from the Carolina Garrison and uh, also the public relations officer, although soon not to be, right, Dean? you got some elections coming up, and you're going to be stepping down for a time. Yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, put a, a good deal of my life towards the 501st, and it's definitely something that's going to stick with me, uh, you know, for a very, very long time, if not through the rest of my life. And I think that's something you'll hear a lot of members saying. But, uh, yeah, I just a lot of stuff I'm trying to... Trying to get going on in my, my personal life, focus on family and job and, uh, you know, and maybe actually get some more time to, to focus on, you know, building costumes and everything. Because uh, right now it's, it's a lot of paper pushing, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of work that, that has to get done to keep the Legion going. But um, we do have elections coming up. And so I think uh, I'm going to step aside. We're going to let some other people uh, move in. But I'm definitely uh, going to keep listening to uh, the Force cast. And I'm always here if you guys... Uh, you know, are looking for some of that insight, and I promise uh, no more, no comment. <laughs> it's all right. 
That's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it, Dean. We love having you, and we want to have you back. Also, Scott Will of the Florida Garrison. Scott, uh, great talking with you, and thanks for joining us. You're still going to thank you for having me. You're still going to be continuing your role as Legion merchandise and branding officer, right? It depends on how the election goes. Ah. I'm not Vote being elected. Now. I'm being appointed, but uh, right. yeah, it depends on who ends up uh, becoming the next Legion uh, Legion commanding officer. All right. Well, Scott, great to have you with us, and hopefully you'll join us again on the roundtable if you'd like. Absolutely. Jimmy Mack, the Citadel Grand Moff Tarkin, Grandma Tarkin, as you called him back in the in the old days, finally comes to the Clone Wars. Seeing the groundwork, perhaps, of the technology that will lead to. The Death Star. Maybe the Death Star's already underway. Who knows? We don't know. There's so much. So much possibility out there. But I, for one, want to hear your final thoughts on this episode. I have no comment, Jason. Um, (laughs) Hey, come on. (laughs) All right. Final thoughts for the Citadel. I really got a lot off my chest during this roundtable talking about this episode, so I'm not going to bog you down with too many final thoughts, but I do have some observations I didn't bring up. Um, I think the Clone Wars is still on the roll, and uh, the Citadel, absolutely no exception. This, This episode had a lot of the great Star Wars traditions intact, fun banter, great main characters, excellent music, action, and I did like uh, I did like uh, James's new bad guy character. I thought James was, he, he tipped us off that he was very excited about this new character and we uh, anxiously await his fate, which I believe will be on a bad note for him by the end of this story arc. As for the music in this uh, episode, I really liked hearing Ahsoka's theme being brought back a couple times and I thought it was very well placed. Um, especially uh, the more upbeat version of it when she climbed through the ventilation shaft like a little ferret. Uh, Ahsoka can fit into some tight yeah. space. Did you notice her Spider-Man moment, Jim? Uh, when she swung around the uh, door jam? No, no. When she peeked, when she dropped her head down to take a look to see where they were, if we're upside down. That it was, was kind of like spiky. Spider-Man or Batman or something. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it was very spidey, very spidey. <laughs> and I like how people- all the ventilation shaft covers just easily pop right open, you know? I really uh, liked uh, the introduction of carbon freezing into uh, the Clone Wars. I liked uh, hearing that classic sound design. It's some of my favorite stuff. Oh, yeah, and that's that's my like my favorite Star Wars sound is the uh, that whirring sound of the, the, the forklift or whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah, the crane that lifts up the uh, blocks of carbon freezing. and um, Apparently, the process of carbon freezing is a little bit harder on the clones than the Jedi. They uh, they all came out of it coughing and uh, blowing carbonite out of their... Carbonite snot out of their noses and stuff. <laughs> the Jedi just stepped out of those things, kind of you know, stretching their neck a little bit like they were taking a nap on a 747 in first class. <laughs> Um, I did like seeing some uh, aesthetic design that harkened back to A New Hope. Um, specifically, the wall-mounted blasters and cameras on board the Citadel were much like those in the Death Star, as we mentioned during the roundtable. And um, there, there were some moments in this episode that sort of gave me an anime 
influenced flavor as far as the pacing and the style and the look. We, we definitely know the creators of the Clone Wars are big fans and supporters of anime. And specifically, I'm talking about there are two shots of Obi-Wan leading the crew as they ran down the hallway in the Citadel in Act 3 of this episode. They cut to it twice. And just the way it was edited and the pacing and sort of the way the characters were like leaning forward like they were running against the wind, it really made me think of anime, a very anime-influenced design. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. thought that was pretty cool. Uh, like I said, Clone Wars still on a roll. Uh, Dave said that this episode reminded him of... Uh, original trilogy Star Wars action and I uh, I heartily agree I think we're going to learn more about Tarkin and actually see him get closer to assuming that ultimate responsibility of of of, of shepherding the Death Star to its completion and uh, I think we might even learn a little bit about the fate of Master Peel here as well uh, so I see a lot of ultimate fates Coming to a head for some uh, main characters in this episode, except for one guy, and that's Newt Gunray, who is not in this episode. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for us. Taking a week off, no Clone Wars next week, which is actually kind of killing me because I've probably never been more into this series than I am right now. So I'm really not looking forward to a week without Clone Wars, but... We'll get through, and we'll be back when it returns. Leading up, of course, to the Season 3 finale, we've been tipped off featuring Chewbacca. So excited. For Dean Plantamira and Scott Will and the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. This podcast is not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names and sounds of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of TheForce.net, LLC, unless otherwise indicated. 